Uh, you know, we showed the little video, we've seen this before, about a, uh, a man that fell into a hole. And uh, I, I want to talk about that just a little bit more because it's kind of the theme of my sermon this morning. But, uh, you know, I know that some of you are here today because, you know, you wanted to come. I know that some of you are here today because you were drug in. Uh, you know, by your husband or your wife or your parents drug you here. Uh, I know some of you are here today because you were tricked into coming. You know, so a friend of yours said, hey, let's go get some coffee and donuts. And, you know, you walked up and, and you're like, wow, where's this place been? I mean, is this a coffee and donut shop? I mean, you're in the parking lot out there. I mean, it's bigger than Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks put together. I mean, when, I didn't even realize it was a coffee shop. But then you get in, you get your coffee and your donuts, and they bring you in here. Well, they did, they did you wrong. They were wrong in doing that, tricking you, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here this morning because I believe God's going to speak to you. You guys remember back in, I think it was in 2010, there was a mining accident in Chile. How many of you guys remember that? Okay, let me just, I just want to share some of that story with you. Uh, it was 2010. Uh, the Chile, uh, Chilean uh, mining accident. It began the afternoon of Thursday, August the 5th, 2010, uh, when there was an incredible cave-in, uh, and the uh, buried men were known as the Los 33, or Thrante Thrace, I guess. Uh, is that right? Alfred, am I right? Uh, they were trapped, get this, 2,300 feet under the, under the earth, from the surface of the earth. 2,300 feet. Uh, a guy named uh, Luis Urza, he was a shift foreman. He immediately recognized the gravity of the situation uh, and the difficulty of any rescue attempt. He gathered the men in a secure refuge, and then he organized them and their uh, meager sources to cope with a long-term survival situation. Food rationing, they soon learned, would be harsh since if each man eats one or two cookies, listen to this, one or two cookies and a spoonful of tuna each day, the provision might stretch out for a week. The, a miner named Mario, one of the leaders throughout the ordeal, uh, would line up 37 plastic cups in a row and a spoon, uh, one spoon, teaspoon of canned fish into each, and then they poured some water in, making a broth. They also got two cookies. That single meal would have to last them 24 hours until the next day at noon. And then as the, uh, the drillers, and then, I mean, they called NASA, they called some of the top drilling uh, companies in the world to come and help, and everybody showed up. It was like worldwide support. They did manage to get a small hole in for ventilation and uh, to drop in some supplies. One, a guy named uh, Jose Enriquez, uh, wanted, the first thing he asked for was 33 Bibles. They had a Bible study every day. And I'm guessing, I'm not sure about this, but I believe they probably had 100% attendance. <laughs> you know, it says just outside the mine entrance, the miners' family set up a camp. It was called Camp Esperanza, or Hope. And they stayed there 
waiting word for their loved ones, keeping pressure on the government officials for some minors. This led to complication. Yanni Barrios, a soft-spoken Romeo, lived with his girlfriend except when they were fighting, and then he stayed with his wife, who lived less than a block away. Both women planted their flag at the camp. The battle for Barrio's heart went public. The girlfriend won. October the 13th the 30 of, of, of 2010, the 33 miners who had been trapped underground for more than two months all returned to the surface after a successful rescue operation. I want to say this, you know, you can imagine that two months in a hole. But I want to say this to the church, to some of you, that most of you have spent your life in a hole. And some of you have become comfortable in a hole. Oh, you paint the walls, you move the furniture, but the bottom line is you're still in a hole. And I want to tell you today that God has something better for you. God didn't send his son to this earth so that you could live in a hole. He sent his son, Jesus, to this earth so that you could have life and you could have it more abundantly. Amen? It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, in those days, it's talking about each of us before we came to Christ. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in a world without God, without hope. But now, listen, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I want to ask you one question. Those of you that have been brought to here, near to him by the blood of Christ, what did you do? What did you do? Anybody know the answer? You did nothing. You didn't do anything. You did nothing. That's just God's love for you. God's pouring out his love for you. As I mentioned earlier from John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The New Living Translation says it like this. My purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. Let me tell you, if you're in a hole today, you are not experiencing a rich and satisfying life. You're just not. God's got more for you. You know, we talk about grace and we talk about mercy. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish if you're a new believer. And sometimes I forget. And I know that, you know, many of us do, that while there may be some seasoned believers in here, we constantly, constantly have people that are getting saved. And so when we read words like grace and mercy, it's like they kind of blend together. They sound like the same word, same like the same interpretation, the same meaning. But grace means undeserved favor, that you did nothing to obtain favor. There's nothing that you did to get God's favor. It's, it, it's kind of, to boil it down, it's getting what you don't deserve. It's, it's just like someone giving you favor, 
You, you know, you're getting what you don't deserve. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's not because you were special, not because you were beautiful, not because you were God looked down and said, you know, there's my man right there, there's my girl right there. I'm just going to pour it out on them. You know, you, you know it's uh, getting what you don't deserve. And mercy, on the other hand, is not getting punishment, by the way, not getting what you do deserve. God's showing mercy to you. Grace and mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, it's great scripture here, verse 18. It says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, listen to this, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is for you. Where's Riley? Right, right. I date him. Hey, Bob. <laughs> Here's the man right here. Here's the man. I would have asked for Jason, but I couldn't get. I, I couldn't hold him like this. <laughs> but listen, you know this little guy. He, he, he doesn't know. I'm going to read the scripture again. It says that you may know and have the power to understand as all God's people how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is for you. You think he understands that? You think this little boy understands how much I love him and his mother loves him and father and grandmother, all the brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles? Do you think he understands that? He doesn't really have a clue. He doesn't have a clue how much we love him, how much we care for him. But I think he's the most awesome thing in the world. All right, Riley, God bless you, bub. The question I want to ask you this morning, do you understand? Do you understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love is for you? God, I don't think we do. I don't. I don't. I don't think you do either. I don't think that we comprehend. Paul goes on to say in Galatians, and we're talking about grace. I want to shift to this grace. And just before I say that, let me just, let me just ask you this. What did he do to make us love him? What did, what did he do? See, he didn't, he didn't do anything. You know, those of you that are pregnant, those of you that are pregnant, though, you've already started. You've already started a love relationship with this child. I wish Benji and Cece were here this morning. By the way, congratulations again to them, little baby girl. But let me just use them for an example. When do you think they started loving that little girl? When? The day she was born? 
we just check her out. Are we going to like her or not? You know, a week later? No. I'm telling you, they began to love her as soon as they knew that Cece was pregnant. And see, and that's the way that we are with our children. As soon as we know, we don't care what they look like. I mean, they can have blonde hair and blue eyes or brown hair and, and brown eyes. We don't care. I mean, we just, I mean, we are drawn to them. We have a love for them. We have a, a concern for them. And so oh, I just want you to know, I, I want you to just, you know, what the, the, I, I probably should have had the theme of this message. What did you do? What did you do? You know, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, it says, He was sent not from men. Nobody sent him, nor by man. But by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Here comes that word. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Listen to that. Hear this. you got to get this deep inside you guys. It says that he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And I ask you again, what did you do? Nada. Nada. You did nada. Nada. You did nothing. God just loved you. The Bible says even before the world was created, God loved you. And had a plan and a purpose for your life. He goes on to say, he says, uh, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory. Remember we talked about that last week. God did all of this, and we give him glory for it forever and ever. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it. By revelation from Jesus Christ. What he's saying is I didn't talk to man about this word. He said that Jesus himself appeared to me. And I want, that's going to be important uh, further on in this, uh, this study. He says that Jesus appeared to me and revealed the gospel message to me. And then he goes on to say, for you heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted, listen, I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. Yet God called him. God called him. What did he do? What did Paul do? Nothing. He did nothing. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. I mean, this guy was at a young man. He was like a superhero. He was the young, he was the young man that the young men looked up to. There goes Paul. There goes Paul. But this guy's awesome. But you ought to, I mean, he is deep in knowledge. He is steeped in it. I mean, he knows the word of God. I mean, he's somebody that we look up to. He goes on to say that, uh, he was extremely zealous for the traditions of the fathers. But when God, who set me apart, listen to this. Think about it. This guy that was persecuting the church, this guy that was putting to death and in prison Christians, it says, listen to this. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, I just think about that. What did he do? 
Nothing. He did absolutely nothing. God called him, he says, and God called me by his grace. And he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult with any human. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas or Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judah that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once destroyed. And they praised God. Remember we talked about last week about giving God glory. And they praised God and gave God glory because of me. Now, I want to give you, I want to back up. I know some of you know this but maybe some of you don't. Saul, we're still talking about Saul. He, later on, his name was changed to Paul. But it says that this is his prior to becoming a Christian. It said, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threat, uh, murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to uh, the, any there who belonged to the way, and that's just another word for the church, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now think about it. He's on his way to Damascus. He wants to get more permission to put in jail or in prison or kill those that belong to uh, Jesus or claim that they knew Jesus. And I ask again, what did he do to deserve that? Nothing, nothing. Jesus responded, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. He opened his eyes but he couldn't see. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he, he answered. And the Lord said to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard by many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all that call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name among the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it and placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, 
The Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized and taking some food, he regained his strength. Again, what did Paul do that God would call him? What did he do? In Ephesians, again, I want to just tell you, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how deep and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. Understanding this love of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, you see just at the right time, when we were still powerless, think about it, we were powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. What did we do? Nothing. We did nothing. We did nothing. We have a great God that loves us. He looked down and said, they're all sinners for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And yet God said, I love them. I don't care what they are, who they are, what they've done. I love them. I love them. And I, through my son Jesus, will wash away their sins. He says again, he says, Christ died for the ungodly, but God, but God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did we do? I'll tell you really what we did. We sinned. We were arrogant. We were rebellious. We were despiteful. We shook our fist in God's holy face. And God says, I love you. I love you. Now, those of you that are parents, had those arguments with your kids, uh, those arguments where it gets intense, and I hate you. I don't want to live in this house anymore. I want to be free. I want to be on my own. Did that stop you from loving them? No, it didn't. We still loved them. And what? They eventually came back, right? That's just like us. We eventually come back. We're tired of being in a hole. You get tired of staying in a hole. You get tired of painting the walls and moving the furniture. And somehow you begin to understand that God has a better plan for your life than the hole that you're in today. And some of you are deep, deep, deep in the hole. And you're wondering, God, is this all there is to life? God's saying, no, I have life and I have a better life for you. I have a call for you. Listen to this. Just about through. So I mentioned last week when I say that, that means about halfway done. No, I'm serious. I am just about through. I've got one more scripture. Listen to this, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Listen, this is, it's hard to get our mind. I can't get my mind around this. Maybe you can But God's speaking to Jeremiah, and he says, Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Really? I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, 
I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Again, I ask the question, what did Jeremiah do? What Jeremiah do? Before you were born. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I called you. What did Jeremiah do? Nothing. I'm telling you guys that God is calling every one of you. Some of you are running. And I want to tell you that God is in hot pursuit. He will follow you all the days of your life. He will be after you. His Holy Spirit will be wooing you and drawing you and calling you into the kingdom of God. As bad as you've been, as sinful as you've been, God loves you. Amen? All right, stand up. That's it. That's it. That's it. Stand up. We're done. Guys are thinking, gosh, it's a miracle. Short one. Had a short one today. But as you walk out this door, I want you to remember those words. What did you do? What did you do? What did you do that God is still calling you and and coming after you? you? You didn't do anything. But God loves you. And he'll be after you. Until you draw the last breath of your life, he'll be after you. Father, we bless you. We praise you. We exalt your holy name. We thank you, God, that while we were still sinners, your son Jesus came to the cross and died for our sins. We thank you, God, that you love us and you have a purpose and a call for our lives. And with all that we have, all that is within us, Lord God, we bless your holy name. Let's just lift up a shout of praise to our God. He is a, he's a great God. He's a great God. God bless you guys. Have a great week. I love every one of you.